0: Congress certifies Joe Biden as president-elect, creating the most pro-abortion administration in American history. What does this mean for America's youngest citizens and those who seek to protect them? And what can you do? And is there any hope? We will educate and equip you to engage in 2021. Buckle up. I'm Seth Cooper, and this is Unaborted. Welcome to Unaborted with Seth Gruber. Thank you guys for tuning in this week. Again, Happy New Year. If you're tuning in now, you probably are listening with a little bit of a heavy heart. Maybe you're driving on your way to work. Maybe you're working out and you're a bit scared and disappointed about what the future uh, holds for this country and for the pro-life movement and for unborn children and the liberty and freedom of your family writ large. Obviously, this was not the results that we were hoping for, and many believed that we were going to have, if not a landslide victory in the Georgia Senate seats, at least good margins of victory. Now, we're not going to get into the details of election fraud and reports of Dominion Systems. That's not what this podcast is for. But whether this election was legitimately stolen or or not in the Georgia Senate seats or at the national level, our job description hasn't changed. And we need to be involved all the more so because of the political threats that are increasing on our families, on our lives, on our liberties in the freest country ever that is going to guarantee freedom and liberty elsewhere as well. Well, if you're tuning in just recently and you haven't given the show a rating and review yet, please go ahead and do that. That really helps us, especially this year. This podcast and show is going to create more episodes in the near future in this year and probably become more and more important as a circle of encouragement, as a community of um, pro-life individuals and a believer, if you're a person of faith, to get equipped, to get encouraged in what's going to be a dark for years because this will be the most pro-abortion administration in American history. So go ahead and leave us a rating and review. It really helps us. And it's going to expose the reach of the show to more people who need to hear these types of ideas that aren't getting articulated in very many places. So, of course, let's dive in first to the bad news, what it means, and then let's see what hope we have and what marching duties that we should be left with. So Joe Biden has been a uh, confirmed by Congress and certified as the president-elect. And so barring a cataclysmic event, he will be the 46th president of the United States, Congress certified on Thursday, January 7th for his Electoral College victory. And then on Tuesday, January 5th, again, assuming that this wasn't a stolen election. The Georgia Senate runoffs were won by Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff. Raphael Warnock, we've talked about on the show briefly. He calls himself a pro-choice pastor. He's an actual Marxist and communist. He helped host Fidel Castro at to speak at a youth event in America in the 80s. He allegedly ran over his wife's foot during an argument and helped intrude in a police investigation for child abuse at a youth camp that he was a counselor at. So a real gem of a guy. And pro-abortion through point of birth with 100% approval rating from the National Abortion Rights Action League and Planned Parenthood. John Ossoff just kind of seems to be his pubescent ideological twin, if you will, functionally believes all of the same things. And if you don't cover politics very closely or listen to the show, then... um, Maybe you're not aware of this, but essentially the Democratic Party is all the same thing. There's a couple members of the Senate that are Democrats who are very uncomfortable with their party, but otherwise they will always set aside smaller ideological differences in pursuit of the same goal, which is advancing secular liberalism, which is guaranteeing that not natural rights Um, guarantee what the government's supposed to protect, but rather just positive rights, the rights that the government creates so that they can gain more political power. So Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff are, are in similar way to Joe Biden, just empty suits for the Democratic establishment and their goals. These people will serve the administrative state, Big Tech, and the Democratic Party. So this gives the Democrats control of the Senate because Kamala Harris will be the tie-breaking vote now. Kamala Harris, probably the most radical member of the Senate and has a voting record record slightly more left than Bernie Sanders. Okay, Kamala Harris uh, is a senator from California, formerly attorney general, and we're going to dive into more of her record as well. So we're going to go into what all of this means, because assuming a cataclysmic event, then the Democrats will have control of the House, the Senate And the White House, which was the conservatives' worst nightmare going into 2021. So let's jump into a refresher on Joe Biden and then a refresher on Kamala Harris. Because here is your president and vice president-elect, soon to be president and vice president in the next few weeks. And we had done an episode weeks ago, months ago, on Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. If you're a newer listener to the show, you can go back to that listen to the entire episode if you want. It was called Joe Biden, Abortion Crazy Kook." And Kamala Harris hates babies. We're just going to give you a little bit of a refresher on their voting records, on their beliefs, and their policies, so you know what you're in store for, particularly as it pertains to the issue of abortion. So Joe Biden has obviously been in American politics for a very long time. And I'm just going to go through his voting record as it pertains to the abortion issue. Okay. So in March of 2008, Joe Biden voted no on defining unborn children as eligible for state children's health insurance programs. Now, this makes sense if you're pro abortion because you can't do anything that compromises the ideology of choice, right? You can't do anything that might cause you to drop The ideological balls that you're juggling, because if you drop one, you might drop them all and your whole philosophy will be exposed as a farce, as the bigotry that it represents, that not all humans are persons. Because if Joe Biden were to grant that unborn children should be eligible for state's children's health insurance, then he's acknowledging that they're children and that they're somehow deserving of insurance. So they're not just blobs of tissue. You see, you can't you can't give a single inch in the ideology of choice or the whole sand castle comes down. Joe Biden voted no on prohibiting minors crossing state lines for abortion, um, meaning he wanted minors to be able to cross state lines for abortions against the wishes of their parents in March 2008. In April 2007, Joe Biden voted yes on expanding research to more embryonic uh, cell lines. Now, harvesting embryonic stem cells requires killing the embryo. You must kill the child to get their embryonic stem cells. Joe Biden voted no on notifying parents of when minors get abortions out of states. Wonderful. So hide everything from the parents. Allow your minors to go across state lines to get an abortion and then make sure the parents can't be told. That was July of 2006. In March of 2005, Biden voted yes on $100 million to reduce teen pregnancy by education and contraceptives. Um, sounds great, except uh, who's running the education, the sexual education? Uh, well, typically the administrative state, if it's in California, that tends to lead the country in sort of educational programs, right? That The kind of schooling and education that starts in California public schools doesn't stay in California public schools. Well, I could tell you a lot about California sexual education that Governor Gruesome Newsom is co-writing with Planned Parenthood, encouraging radical sexual acts, not teaching on abstinence at all as the number one Uh, success rate, 100% success rate in um, not getting pregnant. And then when the pro-choice movement uses the word contraceptives, you never know what that means. It used to mean preventative measures. So condoms and diaphragms, things that you use before you're pregnant to not get pregnant. But now when the left uses the word contraception, oftentimes they're lumping in things like the birth control pill, which if it fails, you could get pregnant and it could cause an early abortion. Sometimes they even use the word contraception when they're referring to the morning after pill, which can be an abortifacient, or even the abortion pill. So they, they expand the term contraception to sometimes refer to, to contracepting things that have already been created. So you're not preventing anything. You're killing something that already was created a new human being. So it sounds great that he voted yes on a bunch of money to reduce teen pregnancy by education and contraceptives. Okay, what kind of sexual education is actually being pushed? Is it really discouraging teen pregnancy or encouraging it through radical sexual acts and then saying, by the way, here is a morning after pill in case you don't use a condom? Uh, In March of 2004, Biden voted no on criminal penalties for harming unborn fetuses during other crimes, right? Of course, yes, of course, because if a man harms a pregnant woman and the child is harmed and the courts charge the criminal with two counts— of harm for two different victims. Now the court is treating the child as a victim, as a human being, somehow deserving of rights. In which case, how could killing them with our tax dollars be reproductive health care? See, they can't give an inch on their ideology. In June of 2000, Biden voted no on maintaining a ban on military-based abortions. In February of 1998, he voted no on banning human cloning. And now remember, human cloning often involves the destruction of the cloned human before birth. So you're just playing God for science, scientific advancement, um, and killing the human beings that you clone. In June of 2019, Biden flipped on his support of the Hyde Amendment. This was right when he launched his presidential campaign in June of 2019. And the Hyde Amendment, as you recall, uh, prohibits tax dollars from funding abortions through Medicaid reimbursements and is responsible for saving over 2 million babies since it was instituted. And this is because a lot of poor women who can't afford an abortion would take advantage of killing their child if they could be reimbursed through Medicaid. So keeping those funds from reimbursing women for their abortions through Medicaid means a lot more women don't get abortions, meaning they carry a term, meaning that's the human being that was saved, Right. Well, now the Democratic Party is increasingly accusing people who don't support the Hyde Amendment of what? what's their favorite word? Oh, yes, racists, racists, because they're saying, well, it disproportionately harms women of color because women of color obtain a disproportionate amount of abortion. So therefore, you're a racist because you're harming black women, their reproductive health care. And that's a systemic racism issue. Right. But of course, the fundamental assumption is that these are not humans and there's nothing morally problematic. With killing them. So, of course, the policy begs the question. And according to the Federalist in December 2016 article, um, when taxpayers don't sponsor abortion, women on Medicaid are less likely to get one. News research reveals that one in every nine people born to a mother on Medicaid is alive today because of the Hyde Amendment. The Hyde Amendment saves more than 60,000 lives in the United States every year. Uh, on an annual basis. So that was the policy that Joe Biden flipped on in June of 2019 after supporting it, by the way, for his entire political career. Democrats, I mean, largely supported the Hyde Amendment until the recent past. In June of 2019, same month, same year, um, Joe Biden at a Planned Parenthood forum promised to codify Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood v. Casey into federal law The the two sort of major precedent cases that have protected abortion at a federal level in the country and said that no laws can stand that would create an undue burden for a woman getting an abortion, meaning just making it really difficult to kill her child. And so they want to codify all of this into federal law, leaving no room for any state to pass pro-life legislation at a state level. And then in August of 2011, Joe Biden spoke at Sikuan University, I could be mispronouncing that, it's a Chinese university, and he spoke on population control. And he refused to condemn China's one-child policy. In fact, he said at the university that quote, he fully understands it, that he fully understand understood the fact that China had to murder 400 million unborn children between 1980 and 2015 and over 100 million women who were forcibly sterilized by the state, by the communist state of China. And that he fully understood that because, you know, overpopulation, you know. The, the the One of the myths that the left gets the most turned on by. They love talking about overpopulation and pushing radical sexual education and abortions in order to eliminate children that they think are going to lead to mass starvation because we somehow don't have enough resources. So he tells China that he fully understands that they had to murder 400 million children. Some of those were forced abortions, many of those. And forcibly sterilize over 100 million women. So that's who Joe Biden is, right? Oh yes, yes, a moderate, and that's how his party, of course, has been painting him, saying that he he's not going to cave to the radical left. You know, uh, he's a principled moderate who's going to stand for American exceptionalism. Well, I just gave you his voting record in history on an issue that we can always use as the litmus test of any politician, because if they can't get the right to life right, of course, they're not going to get any other rights right and can't be trusted to protect any other right that flows from the first and most important of all right, which they deny to a million children a year life. So there's your Joe Biden refresher. Now, what about Kamala Harris? Well, this is particularly important because we all know Joe Biden is not going to last through all four years. In fact, I have sort of a, a, a bet going on with someone uh, through Facebook, and we have reminders in our phones to touch base in four years to see uh, who was correct. I do. I, I'm. I will put a tiny amount of money on the fact that Joe Biden is not going to last through all four years. He will either step down willingly, or his party <clears throat> will try to use their power through the 25th Amendment to somehow declare him mentally unfit, in which case Kamala Harris, of course, would become president. And as Ben Shapiro frequently jokes, Joe Biden should have a food taster immediately uh, because Kamala Harris, of course, is eager to gain the reins of power. So let's go through Kamala Harris's voting record and sort of – principled positions on the issue of abortion as someone who has been categorized as probably the most radical member of the Senate. So in 2019 Kamala Harris co-sponsored the Women's Health Protection Act. This was a piece of federal legislation that thank God did not pass. Here are some things that the Women's Health Protection Act was going to do. And and this was the to this day the most radical piece of pro-abortion legislation from a federal level, more so than Roe v.ersus Wade or Planned Parenthood v. Casey. <clears throat> All right, let's jump into it. So, it, had she had her way, she's something she co- co-sponsored. Doctors and nurses who conscientiously object to abortion could have lost their jobs, and Catholic hospitals could lose public funds. And this this is going to go sort of hand-in-hand hand with the Equal Rights Amendment, which they are eager to shove through at the earliest moment that they can. The Equal Rights Amendment would do a lot of really bad things. I've talked about it on a previous episode. But one of the things that it's going to do is it's going to rewrite the Civil Rights Act to include pregnancy as a form of sex discrimination. So... So now if you deny someone an abortion, you're actually discriminating against them because of their sex, because pregnancy is an aspect of sex and the unborn child is not a child, it's just a pregnancy. And so now if you don't assist with or perform an abortion, then that's actually discrimination. And we're going to shut down Catholic hospitals and deny them of tax funding and public funds because they – can't have anything to do with an abortion because of their Catholic beliefs. I mean, this is like radical stuff, right? Uh, The Women's Health Protection Act would jeopardize informed consent laws such as ultrasound requirements and reflection periods. And again, this goes hand in hand with Joe Biden and Kamala Harris wanting to codify Roe v. Wade into federal law. This is just all kind of the same strategy. So any state that says Well, because we don't have the ability, given the Supreme Court decisions, Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood v. Casey, to ban abortion in our state, we're going to pass this incremental pro-life legislation, such as requiring women to see their child on the ultrasound machine before she gets an abortion. Those kind of informed consent laws would be eradicated in the Women's Health Protection Act. Come, This uh, piece of legislation would jeopardize parental notification requirements, right? And we just went through that with Joe Biden. The left love that. They love to hide your children's abortions from you, uh, the murder of your grandchildren. They don't want parents to be involved with that at all. The Women's Health Protection Act would force states to allow discriminatory abortions. In fact, according to the Charlotte Lozier Institute, this would invalidate the pre-viability application of state laws that prohibit the eugenic practice of Down syndrome, discrimination, abortion, sex selection, abortion, and race-based abortion. And we just had an episode two or three weeks ago or something like that talking about more of sort of the eugenics of abortion, right, and the discriminatory nature of abortion. And the Democrats' willingness to condone abortions that are performed expressly sought after expressly because of the sex, race, or gender of the child. So, shocker, the abortion industry is fine with racism, sexism, and ableism, or eugenics, the very things that they accuse conservatives of being or sort of making common cause with. Oh, they love those things. Oh, my gosh, yes. And live action is done undercover. Journalism exposing that Planned Parenthood will accept donations that are being requested to be earmarked to abort black babies. They will coach women around state laws. And they will coach women how to get ultrasounds to identify the sex of the child so that if it's a female, they can abort it. I mean, this is all undercover journalism live action has done in abortion clinics. And of course, I almost can never do a speaking event without one or two individuals, couples, parents coming up to me saying our doctor OBGYN wasn't just like pushing abortion when we learned our child had Down syndrome or some form of trisomy, but was asking us when we wanted to schedule it. So that would be ableism, right? Killing someone because they're not chromosomally or physically perfect. And so the Women's Health Protection Act would basically not allow states to pass bans on abortions that are performed and sought for discrimination or for discriminatory reasons. What else would the Women's Health Protection Act do? It would block states from protecting pain-capable babies at 20 weeks of pregnancy in most cases. Now, we know that unborn children can feel pain well before 20 weeks, but 20 weeks has kind of just become the standard, uh, accepted gestational period at which we know the child can feel the full range of human pain. Uh, We know it's probably closer actually to uh, the end of the first, beginning of the second trimester, and we have seen that unborn children actually respond to some form of stimulus um, at eight weeks. (laughs) Okay, I mean that's that's crazy, that's wild. Now, not the full range of human pain, but some range of human pain. But the Pain Capable Unborn Child Protection Act always would ban abortions at after 20 weeks when we know abortion is a horrifically painful experience for the child. So no more states doing that as well. And then it would override state restrictions on abortions in the third trimester, which has broad-based support. And I've sort of cited a lot of the polls for you that the percentage of the American public, according to Gallup, That support the legalization of abortion in the third trimester, I believe is 13 (laughs) percent. That's not a big, you know, block of the American public that's okay with third trimester abortions. But of course, the Democratic Party defends third trimester abortions. Because they defend all abortions through point of birth. So this, this, this bill would invalidate any state law that prohibits abortion after fetal viability when in the good faith medical judgment of the treating physician, continuation of the pregnancy would pose a risk to the woman's life or health. That's from the Charlotte Lozier Institute. And so they're they're going to say because they categorize health so broadly that if it's affecting the woman's mental or emotional health, then she can still get a late trimester abortion. Kamala Harris supports infanticide because she voted against the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act both times in 2019 and in 2020, proposed by Senator Ben Sasse out of Ben Sass out of Nebraska. And of course, all this bill would have done, as I've shared with you before, is, re- is require that babies born alive during botched abortions receive the same level of medical attention and care as any other baby born under normal circumstances at the same gestational age. The baby has to immediately be transferred to a hospital because abortion clinics are not created to preserve life. They're created to end life. And if you don't report the fact that this baby was born alive during a botched failed abortion, then there will be legal consequences. And certainly if the abortionist actually kills or just steps back from the table and lets the child die and does nothing to care for it, they'll be charged with murder. Okay, so this should not have been controversial, of course, and I've covered this on the show many times. Because it doesn't actually restrict abortion. And if you read through the bill, there's nothing in there that restricts the killing of that child in the womb, only the killing of that child outside the womb, or prohibits refusing to care for the child outside the womb. Once again, the mask has slipped. The pro-abortion party has proven that in their willingness to condone infanticide, they're saying that they're willing to sacrifice anyone any human being born or unborn's life and health in order to maintain abortion access. Because if you grant that the child directly outside of the birth canal is a person with rights that should somehow be protected under our laws, then it becomes morally untenable to suggest that that same child 30 seconds before and six inches away was somehow not a child and the fetus fairy flew up, I guess, and sprinkled magical personhood conferring fairy dust as a child was exiting the vaginal canal. It becomes full-scale insanity. So they have to protect infanticide, and Kamala Harris, of course, voted against protecting infants born alive during botched abortions both times. Now, the last thing you need to know and be reminded about Kamala Harris in terms of her voting record and policies is that Kamala Harris, as attorney general in California, prosecuted and attacked undercover journalists for exposing Planned Parenthood's federal crimes. I'm referring to when they sold dead baby body parts that they had already aborted on the black market to interested third parties to make additional cash off of the limbs of the children that they had already made money on killing through abortion— Kamala Harris was attorney general in California at the time and immediately launched an investigation against the whistleblowers. Now, there has never been a whistleblower in California history who has been prosecuted or thrown in jail or had a case brought against them that's been accepted in the courts that exposed a federal crime being committed by someone. Right. That's why we actually love undercover journalists. It's like, okay, who cares if you were filming someone without their consent? They were breaking the laws. They were breaking federal laws. They were committing crimes. They're criminals. That's good that you expose that. Well, David Daleiden and Sandra Merritt became the first ones in California history to have legal action taken against them, to be thrown in jail, to be sued because they exposed Planned Parenthood selling fetal tissue. That would be baby limbs to interested third parties. She raided Daleiden's apartment to attempt to steal all the other recordings that he had, all while defending the criminals whose crimes the whistleblowers had exposed. And David Daleiden's attorneys at the time, you might remember this, cited leaked emails showing Kamala Harris's office was working with Planned Parenthood to draft legislation that would criminalize undercover investigations like the Center for Medical Progresses, which was David Daleiden's, is David Daleiden's organization. (laughs) So... As David Daleiden rightly accused Kamala Harris of prostituting her attorney general duties to her political campaign donors who were at that moment lining her pockets with cash for her reelection. And then, of course, she became a senator in California. And Xavier Becerra continued that prosecution after Harris became senator. And Joe Biden has said that he would pick Xavier Becerra for a position in his administration. But he couldn't even pronounce his name the other day because he doesn't know these people. OK, they're just empty suits to fill in the administrative state and the Democratic Party to accomplish their goal and to protect what? Well, always their greatest sacrament, first and foremost, abortion. Kamala Harris has also promised to institute pre-clearance guidelines for states that want to pass pro-life legislation. So we're going to play you this brief clip here. We played it way back in the Kamala Harris episode. But this just kind of gives you a window into what she was preparing to do had she won her campaign. But, of course, her campaign erupted into flames and then she was plucked out of obscurity by Joe Biden, who— had to pick a black woman to prove that he wasn't racist. So here's Kamala Harris saying what she would do at the federal level to stop states from protecting unborn children in their states. Uh, My plan is as uh, as follows. Uh, For any state that passes a law that violates the Constitution, and in particular, Roe v. Wade, our Department of Justice will review that law to determine if it is compliant with Roe v. Wade and the Constitution. And if it is not, that law will not go into effect. That's called preclearance. That's called preclearance. Remember that? Remember in one of the, the clauses in the Constitution? Okay, Kamala Harris hates federalism. Okay, she hates the democratic will. She hates all of our institutions. And you see this with the mainstream media and the left, Right. And the pro-abortion movement, but I repeat myself, you see this all the time with them. When the electoral college works, they're like, we love America. It elected Obama, right? And when it doesn't work, then they claim election fraud from 2016 for all four years and nothing burger multimillion dollar investigations into Russia that brought nothing, right? They, they do not like American institutions except when they work for them, right? And so when they began seeing during the Trump administration that these things weren't working for them, what did they start promising to do? Attack all of those institutions. (laughs) So what have they said they would do? Get rid of the filibuster, pack the Supreme Courts, expand the size of the Supreme Court, make D.C. and Puerto Rico a state? All things to get more seats in the Senate, to eradicate the filibuster so that Republicans don't have that last check on power on them. All of these institutions that they will use to great effectiveness and certainly great liking when it helps them get what they want. But then when it doesn't work, then we'll screw it, get rid of them. Majoritarianism, rule by pure mob. That's what they want. Anyone that compromises that becomes an enemy in and of themselves. And so, of course, Kamala Harris doesn't like federalism when it doesn't work. She doesn't like the fact that these pro-life states with more sort of conservative policies and politicians might be protecting unborn children in their states. So she says, I'm going to codify Roe v. Wade into federal law and then institute pre-clearance guidelines, meaning when she's declared president after Joe Biden is declared mentally unfit, she will sit in the White House in the Oval Office when Tennessee or Georgia or South Dakota or Idaho – Or any more conservative state tries to pass pro-life laws, she'll just look at it and go, well, it's not (laughs) pre-cleared. I mean, neutering the voice of free Americans in order to enshrine her view of abortion as a social good. Kamala Harris would expand the size of the Supreme Court. In May of 2019, Harris was asked whether she would support adding as many as four more justices to the bench. And here was her response. I quote, she said, I'm open to this conversation about increasing the number of people on the U.S. Supreme Court, given what she called a, quote, crisis of confidence created by Republicans. And of course, what she means by that is uh, they appointed conservative Supreme Court justices that we didn't like. Um, And they and Mitch McConnell stopped Merrick Garland from getting appointed at the end of Obama's term uh, in order to get someone they liked. And so maybe we should just pack the Supreme Court to get what we want. Right. That's what she's saying. So imagine a Biden-Harris administration, boom, they add four more leftist justices, and that's it for conservative jurisprudence. That's it for the pro-life movement's hopes of overturning Roe. How long have we worked to try to get the right justices appointed at the Supreme Court through a Republican administration in order to overturn Roe versus Wade? Well, what if they just expand it and add four more, and they have the House, the Senate, and the White House, and they get rid of the filibuster, and they can just do whatever they want? And you say, well, yeah, I mean, come on, Republican senators would never allow that to happen, right? And uh, there's always a filibuster. We can always just stand up and have someone talk for hours to stop them. Well, then she says, well, maybe we'll just get rid of the filibuster. So in September of 2019, at a CNN climate crisis town hall, Kamala Harris promised that if she didn't get her way as president in enacting what she believed was the proper strategy to fight climate change, she would simply abolish the filibuster. This is what she said. She said, if Republicans weren't working with us to fight the sun monster— And to get the right climate control and plan in place, then she said, I'll just get rid of the filibuster so we can do it ourselves. Harris is telling us in no uncertain terms that she's willing to grow and then pack the Supreme Court. And if you try to stop her, she'll just remove the last check that senators have on power, eliminating the filibuster and leaving us all subject to the whims of the majority. Now, abolishing the filibuster will give Democrats the ability in a majority controlled House and Senate, which looks like they're going to have, to expand the Supreme Court, pack it with leftists, and Republicans could do nothing about it. Now, I don't think that the Republican Party is perfect or good in and of itself, but it is the only rational decision available for Americans who love life and liberty, given the radicalization of the Democratic Party. And yes, we should work within that party and system to make it better where we can and to promote righteousness and restrain evil. So this would essentially end the political aspect of the pro-life movement. Between her pre-clearance plan and a Supreme Court suddenly with four new leftists, pro-lifers could accomplish nothing politically and millions more babies would die. And then she says, of course, well, maybe we'll just make D.C. and Puerto Rico a state just to make sure that we have rule by mob. By majority, to just make sure that we get enough Democratic seats in the Senate so that Republicans could not pose any meaningful challenge to retaking the Senate for probably decades. And so in June 26, Kamala Harris tweeted this. Washington, D.C. has 700,000 plus residents, more than some states, but they are denied full representation in Congress. It's time to grant D.C. statehood. Now, we don't have time to get into necessarily why why that's wrong, why that's, that's a misplaced argument to just argue that, well, there's people who live in D.C., and so therefore they need representation. D.C. was created to be the place where people go to make policy, to debate. It wasn't created to be a state. But, of course, it would give them two more seats in the Senate because I think Washington, D.C., if it became— A state would be have the most Democrats per capita of any state in the entire country. So that immediately gets them two more Democrat senators. And then if they make Puerto Rico a state, likely four. Oh, you want to filibuster that attempt to make D.C. a state? Sorry, they got rid of the filibuster. So in summary, the Joe Biden Kamala Harris political administration would accomplish or attempt to accomplish this, barring a miracle, or barring some moderate Democrats um, preventing this from happening in the Senate, codify Roe v. Wade into federal law, institute pre-clearance guidelines for pro-life states that want to pass pro-life laws, add four more Supreme Court justices to probably pack the other courts, make D.C. and Puerto Rico a state to achieve a permanent majority majority in the Senate, and probably end the Republican Party on the national level at least for a few decades. Abolish the filibuster, abolish the Hyde Amendment, right, which I told you keeps federal dollars from. Funding abortion through Medicaid reimbursements and is responsible for saving 60,000 babies a year. Increase the tax funding of Planned Parenthood by the millions and overturn the Mexico City policy to fund abortions overseas once again. And maybe just, I don't know, threaten healthcare workers and nurses with career termination if they want to assist with or perform abortions. Sound great, huh? Well, that's what that party is going to mean to the unborn child in just a few weeks. So what does this mean for the babies? Well, it means that Kamala and Joe will be to babies what Hitler was to the Jews. Babies will be targeted for slaughter like no other time in American history. And we know that pro-life legislative efforts have saved lives. Well, those efforts are going to come to a standstill. Because if they do what they say they're willing to do and want to do, we won't even be able to work within our political system To give a voice to pro-life Americans who want to pass these laws and protect the unborn. So let's go through just a little bit about kind of how we know pro-life legislative efforts have saved lives and the consequences of this administration for the pro-life movement, for those who seek to protect the unborn. Removing the Hyde Amendment will mean 60,000 more babies will be aborted a year at least. The Guttmacher Institute reported in September of 2019 that the U.S. abortion rate declined by more than 23 percent between 2010 and 2017. And we have good reason to believe that that was because of pro-life legislative efforts. According to a CDC 2016 surveillance report, it shows that the U.S. abortion rate has declined by approximately 50 percent since 1980. Now, again, we know that abortion rates have been declining for actually some time. And sometimes you'll hear people say it's Democratic policies that have decreased abortion. So vote for Democrats because that's what real pro-lifers do. (laughs) But abortions have actually been decreasing across administrations, be those Republican or Democrat. And Michael J. New at the Charlotte Lozier Institute, who studies the impact of pro-life laws, wrote in National Review recently that a key reason for this decline in the abortion rate is that a higher percentage of women with unintended pregnancies carry them to term, illustrating that pro-life educational, legislative, and service efforts have been effective. So all of those attempts, all of the lives, actual human beings, like actual babies behind these efforts that we're saving, will be put at least to a permanent stop uh, unless we somehow are able to Uh, stop the madness that this party wants to do through pure majoritarianism. Assuming the majority of those increases are due to pro-life efforts, um, increases in saved lives, then it's not unreasonable to assume that if Kamala Harris has her way, there could easily be a 23% increase of abortions over an eight-year administration. So that would translate to roughly 2 million more babies killed, at least, over a Harris administration because... Biden is not going to be president for all four years. And then I haven't even talked about how the abortion pill changes that formula, because the abortion pill is very hard to track in terms of how many abortions it results in. And it's the new horizon of the abortion industry, especially during the shutdowns of COVID-19, because they've been able to argue that women will die from COVID if they go in for a surgical abortion. So let us just ship the abortion pill to their mailbox. And then, of course, the abortion rights groups that we've talked about on the show have been suing the FDA And have temporarily in getting them to lift their requirement that says that women have to get the abortion pill in an in-person evaluation uh, to ensure her health and uh, appointment before she gets the abortion pill. So we don't even know how many more babies will be killed because of the efforts of a Democratic administration under Kamala Harris and Joe Biden, especially as they're pushing the abortion pill. So, wow, there you go. Happy New Year. Isn't that just great? And where have been the churches? Where have been the Christians? Silenced. Or rather silent. Not silenced. They've chosen not to speak up on behalf of the unborn. Where were the churches and pastors in Atlanta, in Georgia, leading up to this special Senate runoff that, was, that is now determining the results of the Senate, tied with Kamala Harris being a tie-breaking vote? Where, where were the Christians? Nowhere. They couldn't be bothered to speak out because the church isn't political. Well, now there's real babies who are going to be killed. There's real image bearers of God who will be poisoned to death in the womb and have their limbs ripped off their body. Because American pastors and churches, in particular in Georgia just recently, couldn't be bothered to get out the vote, couldn't be bothered to preach on these issues, couldn't be bothered to tell their churches and Christians that you actually have a spiritual obligation before God, who you claim to follow, to involve yourself in the public square, to advocate on behalf of those whose first right is being denied them, the right that you take for granted, life. Nowhere. So we're going to get to a little hope next and a little call to courage as we start this year off with some heavy content and heavy episodes. But first, if you like this show and want to hear more great content and commentary and packing all of these ideas, what's happening in the front lines of the pro-life movement and what this all means for the future of the country, then become a patron of the show at patreon.com forward slash unaborted. That's patreon.com forward slash unaborted. If this is your first time listening to the show, Patreon is just a crowdfunding platform for podcasts and content creators. And we're trying to get to $1,000 a month in the next few months because that's going to enable us to begin creating two episodes a week and then getting equipment and uh, volunteers or part-time people to be able to create interactive content on the streets on college campuses if they ever reopen, um, or just in the public square in cities and states around the country, engaging with the public and presenting conver- these ideas through a conversational format. And, you know, obviously, we want to create viral content on YouTube and on social media so that people see how evil, debauched, and mistaken the type of Thinking that is called pro choice. And so we want to advocate for life and liberty. We want to reach the next generation. So if you want to help us do that, go to patreon.com forward slash and check out our tiers and perks that you'll get for becoming a patron. And we'll be right back with a whole lot more. <laughs> Welcome back to the show, guys. Thank you for staying tuned in with me. I hope this show, and I hope this time that you tune in, is helpful for you, encouraging to you, and convicting. Because I, my hope is that you actually do something about the content that you listen to, at least on this show. I want you informed, want you educated. That's because I want you equipped to engage. So, is there any hope? Is there any hope for the unborn child, for our preborn neighbors, and for pro-lifers and for the pro-life movement who seeks to protect them? Well, I mean, for those of us who are people of faith, of course, there's always hope. As scripture tells us, hope does not disappoint because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. So there's always hope. We are not those without hope, for we understand where hope comes from. But uh, that doesn't mean that there's not a time to mourn, that there's not a time to cry. But there certainly should not be a time to despair. So practically, what does it look like to have hope in this moment? sort of utilitarian wise, like application wise, is there any hope uh, to prevent this absolute madness? Well, there is a senator. There is a senator who's a Democrat who could potentially upset the plans of this radical pro-abortion establishment. There is. He would be hailed as a hero and welcomed home to the Republican Party, the only political party that actually stands for America's founding ideals, not perfectly, but actually believes in natural rights and the recognition of their source god. And that would be Joe Manchin. Joe Manchin is a Democrat from West Virginia, and he is pro-life. He is a very conservative Democrat, and I'm frankly surprised he hasn't left his party a long time ago. He knows probably also that if he were to lean more left, he would never get reelected in his more conservative area. So Joe Manchin does support the Hyde Amendment to keep federal dollars from funding abortions. And he's called it, quote, foolish before to repeal it. Foolish to repeal it. He likes the Hyde Amendment. And some people think that maybe Manchin has given signs that he might switch parties. And some pundits believe that he, in fact, will at some point during the Joe Biden administration And so maybe he will in 2021, which would then give the Republicans control of the Senate by one. However... We do have a couple bad eggs in the Republican Senate, and that would be the pro-abortion Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski. Susan Collins is a Republican from Maine, and Lisa Murkowski is a Republican from Alaska. Uh, something about those polar ends of the uh, the country, of course, excluding Hawaii. Very, very interesting, very strange. They both voted against the Pain-Capable Unborn Child Protection Act in 2020, which was a piece of federal legislation that failed once again because of Democrats who filibustered it um, and radical pro-abortion Democrats who were literally voting to continue the legality of killing babies who can feel the pain of human dismemberment. That was very discouraging, and I believe they were the only Republicans to vote against the Pain-Capable Unborn Child Protection Act. Now, there was a radical Democrat who was threatening Susan Collins' Senate seat in Maine – and so a lot of conservatives and Republicans maxed out to Susan Collins' campaign just because the alternative was that much worse. It was a bummer that we were left with those two choices because I would much prefer a fresh Republican who's actually a true conservative because of course if you're pro-abortion, you cannot make a case for your conservatism. You just like you just like fiscal conservative policies, but you could care less about preserving anything in America which has to start with our natural rights. And so it could be likely that Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski will allow the abortion extremism of the Democratic Party, even if Joe Manchin were to switch. Because if that gave Republicans control of the Senate by one seat, but then Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski voted in favor of pro-abortion legislation, then that legislation would be getting passed by uh, one vote. So Anyways, there is some hope. We'll have to see how all the cards play out. But certainly be praying for Joe Manchin, uh, praying for his courage and praying that he would switch parties and come home to the only party that recognizes at some level natural rights. So I kind of want to close up here with a call to fight because 2021 is going to be a crazy, crazy year. This silly notion you were hearing at the end of 2020 of like, oh, I can't wait for this year to end. I can't wait for the new year. Yeah, nothing's changing. Okay, in fact, it's getting worse because you elected radical pro-abortion leftist Marxists who are now going to be sitting in the Oval Office. Okay, so well done, America. Things will only get worse and it will always boggle my mind that uh, Americans... Oftentimes, Democrats who complain about the curtailment of their rights will still vote for the very people who don't believe in protecting those natural rights. So I'm fighting for my children's future, a future where they can live out their faith fully and freely, a future where they can put their faith into every aspect of their life, a future where they won't have to fear persecution in any form from the government. Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction, as Ronald Reagan reminds us. It must be fought for every day. Americans have become freedom gluttons, and that gluttony has turned liberty into libertinism so that we no longer appreciate nor understand our liberty. Liberty is not the freedom to do whatever you want. Liberty liberty is the freedom to do as you ought. But one political party today is committed to ensuring Christians and liberty-loving Americans writ large won't be able to do as they ought and won't be able to live out their faith in every aspect of life. From forcing nuns to pay for abortion-inducing drugs, to big tech catering to the demands of that party to silence voices they they don't like in the new marketplace of ideas, online, to forcing Americans to pay for abortions, to forcing Americans to pay for gender reassignment surgeries, to calling for the destruction of female athletics because hashtag science, to teaching your underage children transgender ideology without a parental opt-out option or notification, to suing creative professionals who want the freedom to not photograph or bake for same-sex weddings or gender transitions, to threatening lawsuits against psychologists or therapists who counsel gays who don't want to be gays, or transgender children or adults who want conversion therapy, to allow boys who think they're girls to use your daughter's restrooms and locker rooms, or to labeling Judeo-Christian beliefs and teachings on marriage and gender as hate speech, today's Democratic Party is the enemy of freedom and liberty, of natural rights, of science, and of religious freedom. So wake up. Wake up, people of common sense, Christians, and old-school Democrats whose party left you a long time ago. Get woke to how your liberty and freedom is shrinking, and will shrink 10 times faster now, with an almost assured Democrat House, Senate, and White House. Compare American culture and political realities in 1990 and 2020. (laughs) And then ask yourself what America your children and grandchildren will have in 2050, 30 years from now. Yeah, yeah, that should scare you. America's institutions and ideas, which are obviously better than any country's ever, can only remain great if good people are behind them who hold to those ideas. You can have all the trappings of a democracy. But if the American people and her leaders no longer believe in America's founding ideals, then the office is a hollowed out shell, unable to defend freedoms and liberties it no longer believes are objectively good. Now, there is an institution that used to inculcate virtue and morality into Americans, and preserve the ideas of this republic in order to delay as long as possible the inevitable, which is what? The end of America. That's always the inevitable. No country has lasted forever. And that institution is the church, the pulpits. But many years ago, the Bride of Christ decided it was wrong, bad, maybe even idolatrous, to get political. You see, as Bill Federer, American historian, eloquently explains, every king needs a counselor. But in America, the people are the king and the pulpits are the counselor. As the church abandoned that job description, secular liberals with a vastly different worldview, right, took the job opening as the king's counselor. And they are eager and excited to do for evil what we will apparently no longer do for good in America. You see, Christianity provides the eternal and theological defense and explanation of these natural rights that few of us understand anymore and nearly all of us take for granted. Christianity says you love liberty and freedom because those are God's ideas and not man's. You hate injustice and want to see justice because that's God's idea. He made you and he has a purpose for you. Americans drink deeply from the streams of liberty. It's ingrained into the DNA of this republic. It's what we were founded on. The church used to use her counselor position to guide Americans through the streams of liberty to its source, God himself. But when we decided that for the sake of our witness— We couldn't be associated or seen associated with politics. Secular liberals took up our position and poisoned the streams of liberty with bad ideas. Now Americans increasingly drink from the streams of libertinism. And the new counselor tells them, it's the old American liberty. It's still liberty, bottoms up. But it's not. But we're too intoxicated on what we believe is freedom and liberty to realize that we've been poisoned. So like a drunk who temporarily feels amazing and convinces himself he can drive, Americans are gleefully speeding this experiment toward destruction. And it's only so long before the drunk runs out of luck and kills himself and others. Spider-Man's uncle once said, with great power comes great responsibility. Or even better, Jesus of Nazareth said, to whom much is given, much is required. In America, the people are the sovereign. That means not only are we the most powerful political entity ever, but it also means we have significantly more responsibility for how this nation turns out. We've been given an incredible gift. Is that gift beyond repair? Can we sober up, wash our face, and find ye old streams of liberty? Will the bride of Christ take up her old her old job description and counsel both believers and non-believers alike and remind them whose idea liberty is and who the creator of life is? Will we abandon our idolatrous obsession with our witness whether people like us, and engage in the public square, in the political life, in order to seek the good of the city where we are in exile, in order to protect and secure those liberties for the next generation. Will the church risk being labeled political in order to stop the drunk man from getting in the car? Or will we simply scream the gospel at him as he drives 100 miles per hour into a tree so we can check our evangelism box? Bonhoeffer, a man who gleefully defied the governing authorities, in alleged disobedience of Romans 13, said shortly before his imprisonment and eventual execution that, quote, the ultimate question for a responsible man to ask is not how to heroically extricate himself from the affair, but how the coming generation shall continue to live. And for too long, we have been heroically extricating ourselves from the ecclesia, the public square, the political life for the sake of our witness while abandoning this American experience and the natural rights it's built upon to the coming generation. Later, Bonhoeffer was asked how it was possible for the church to sit back and let Hitler seize power. His answer was firm and fearless. He said it was the teaching of cheap grace. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ. Friends, we live in a time and culture today that not only teaches cheap grace, but praises it. Cheap grace is a false gospel from a false God that allows us to treat our defiance to God and our approval of evil as uh, it's just a contextualized gospel for changing times, as some woke evangelicals might put it today. Another word for this is syncretism. Today's evangelical syncretists Preach this false gospel anytime they say things like, I'm just loving my neighbor, to justify marching at a BLM Incorporated march, or to justify voting for Bernie Sanders because healthcare is a human right, to justify voting for Raphael Warnock because my personal religious pro-life belief shouldn't be imposed on the rest of the country, or justifying, quote-unquote, public health mandates that actually ruin your neighbor's life and almost none of the politicians obey because, quote, you know, we're called to obey the governing authorities, this is syncretism. So now, as my friend Rob McCoy says, the church, quote, waits downstream to pick up the human heartache they helped create through their silence. But as Bonhoeffer might remind us, silence in the face of evil is itself evil. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. And God will not hold us guiltless. We will give an account to God for how we managed what we were given. Parable of the Talents, anyone? We will give an account to our children and grandchildren as to how we allowed the murder of 63 million children. We will be held accountable by future generations of Christians, if Christ is not returned, as to why we allowed the biggest megaphone for the gospel, America, be crushed by people who were eager to use the political tools that we were too afraid to use. So I will not be silenced. I will not be silent. I will speak truth and call lies lies because truth matters. And the way, the truth, and the life is watching me. I will raise my children not with a compartmentalized Christianity, but a comprehensive one. I will explain costly grace and why it's beautiful. I will teach them to love, understand, and appreciate the blessings that others bled and died to secure for them. I will train them how to handle the fragile gift of freedom and liberty. But most of all, I will show them how to fight and how to love the fight. Or as Douglas Wilson might say, Why would we raise generations of dragon slayers and be disappointed to have dragons for them to fight? Cheer up. It's more dangerous than you thought. That's my call to action. That's your call to action. That's one that I want you to embrace for your children and your grandchildren. It's time for us to engage in a comprehensive gospel that doesn't say our faith shouldn't go in the political sphere, but rather our faith should touch every aspect of life and one political party will ensure that there will be less and less areas of public life that your faith will be able to go into without persecution. So what can you do? Well, firstly, don't attend or tithe to churches that preach a cheap grace. Leave that church. Don't give them money. Secondly, if you can't find a comprehensive Christianity church that preaches a costly grace, then plant one and engage your local community. If anything, the shutdowns because of COVID-19 have exposed which kind of churches and pastors are true leaders. Right, The ones that continue to remain shut down because they say, I have to obey Romans 13 to be obedient to the governing authorities, likely would have not founded this country because the activist preachers who founded this country were being disobedient to the governing authorities when they left Europe. When they defied Britain, they likely would have been going right along with the genocide of Jews as Bonhoeffer and the confessing church were disobeying the governing authorities. And I guess they won't preach the gospel And I guess they're forsaking meeting together, despite the fact that the governing authorities told the Apostle Paul to stop preaching the gospel and he did not listen to them. So if you can't find a comprehensive Christianity church that preaches costly grace, plant one and engage your local community. Thirdly, book me to come speak and wake up your church to the genocide of abortion. Okay, I have a partner church that's partnering with me right now who is offering for the time being to pay for my airfare travel expenses, and honorarium to any church that doesn't have the financial means but would like to bring me out to speak. Honor system, okay? Be a person of integrity. Don't contact me to book me if your church has the budget to pay a guest speaker. But if you don't, take advantage of it, okay? I'm already booked every Sunday through March 15th. If you want to get on my schedule before it gets completely filled up, then reach out to me, okay? Start a Love Life chapter at your church. I work alongside my friends at Love Life from Charlotte, North Carolina, where they've changed the spiritual landscape of the entire city because they have 150 church partners. So when they stand outside of the abortion mills and save pre-born children and minister the gospel to their mothers and the mothers choose life, they have 150 churches with all of their budgets behind them who then throw on a baby shower for the mother. They buy them a car. They get them diapers for a year. They get them an apartment and they provide any needs that they have. They've changed the landscape of the city. It's time for the church to stop giving permission for abortion in America. As Francis Schaeffer once said, every abortion clinic ought to have a sign out front that says open with the permission of the church of Jesus Christ. Go to lovelife.org America. That's lovelife.org America. Fill out an interest form and they will disciple and train you and equip you to launch an effective pro-life ministry chapter at your church. Uh, let's see here. Fourthly, become a patron of this podcast. I already mentioned this, but also give to pro-life ministries, okay? Support pro-life ministries who are engaged in this fight full-time. And lastly, if you can, give an additional percentage of your income to help fund the campaigns of Republicans who have spines of steel. We've also seen during the last few months, Republicans who do not have a spine, okay? Who are not going to stand up for the voice of the American people. So if you have the means, if you have the money, start allocating part of your income to also fund the campaigns of Republican. Republicans with courage. All right, let's put some steel into the spine of the GOP and turn it into the party that we need it to be for the sake of unborn children who have no other political party that will protect their natural and inalienable rights. My Faith Votes, an organization I work alongside occasionally, says that for years, Christians have bought into the lie that faith is a private matter. As a result, more than 25 million Christians who are registered to vote do not vote in presidential elections. And as many as 65 million Christians do not vote in local elections. So listen, if you're in a city or a county that's deeply blue and you're wondering, hmm, you're wondering why you can't open your business without the health department coming and taking away your liquor license if you have a... A restaurant or some other business that's been declared non-essential by, by health department officials who have never lost a single paycheck. If you're wondering why, it's because of the silence of the Christians and the church in your local community who will do nothing to show up and just bubble a little bubble in on a ballot that best promotes people who promote a Judeo-Christian worldview and a recognition of natural rights and their source. If Christians were engaged and they were receiving the full counsel of God, a comprehensive Christian gospel from the pulpits of the pastors who were supposed to be discipling them to be salt and light, we would own every election for the rest of this country. But we won't because we're afraid of our witness. It's time for us to abandon our idolatrous obsession with our witness, which really just means, will our leftist friends like us and engage in the political sphere for a lot of reasons. But firstly, for the sake of neighbors who it is legal to kill. Happy New Year. Lastly, pray. Pray for this country. God has promised that if his people will pray, repent, and seek his face and turn from their wicked ways, he will hear from heaven and he will heal their land. 2021, we're going to need a lot of healing in this land. Thanks for joining me today. Head on over to iTunes and YouTube, Spotify. Give the show a rating and review. Let me know what you think. It's really fun. I love looking at them. I love hearing how this has blessed you if it has. If you want to learn more and engage with me online, head on over to SethGruber.com, S E T H G R U, B as in baby boy, to get my newsletter, to see all of my events. If you want to come hear me speak live and local. Um, and to get training videos and engage with me further. Until next week, I'm Seth Gruber, and this is Unaborted.